Hey everybody, welcome to the Faith Church Podcast. I am your host, Jay Williams, and joining me today is my co-host, Jeffrey Clossy. Hey Jay, how's it going? Good. It's good. going good. It's going fine. Awesome. Staying cool? Great. We're done. Thanks everybody. For... Hey, if you want to connect more, then... Um, am I staying cool? Yeah. Dude, it's so... Yeah. Yes, it's totally fine. It was pretty hot yesterday. I went to a baseball game yesterday. It was pretty hot. Um, but pretty hot was still in the upper 80s. Relative. Yeah. I was, I was at Bay Beach yesterday. That's right. You were. I went with the fourth grade uh, class at the Marinette yeah. Inter- Intermediate School and had a blast with them down there. Those kids were troopers because... There were a lot of other kids there from other schools as well. Oh wow! Uh, and but we had a really fun day. I together. heard there was a yeah. Well, there's I heard there was some excitement. It's it was really hot. It was so, really hot, and I was encouraging hot. people, yeah. let's get snow cones. Yeah. <laughs> I think that might be a good idea. Yeah, but yeah, uh, Zip and Pippin. Was oh, it was open. Unsurprisingly, a highlight. Yeah, we waited a long time for it, and the boys loved it. So yeah, I had a great day. It's with a fun that, little roller coaster. It is, and. Just being like that age group, so 10, 10, 11 year olds, they're so fun because they're, they're still like love all the rides. Nothing's lame, you know, but they're very capable. They're they're big enough to That's do a point. lot. They're all tall enough. And, you know, it was yeah, really, really They fun. can go get on the ride themselves. Exactly. And they don't, you don't feel weird about them being on a ride. But the, yeah, they're still, they're not. I You know, I found that even the older kids, once they enter in there, they, especially if they grew up going to Bay Beach, it, like, the sentimental effect, you know, it was really fun. I love going there. And I still tell people it's like the best, um, like people from outside of this area don't understand what it's like to have a city subsidized little playground park. Like it's like a little miniature theme park and it's super affordable. And I think even the slushies were like $2, which I was like, subsidized. I I can't believe that that's all that is. I mean, it's all cheap anywhere else. That would be like $6, right? Yeah. At least. So you've had a good you've had a good parenting week too then cuz um you took me bike riding on <laughs> Friday, last Friday. I was like what are you That's talking? You? <laughs> yeah, we got to go on an awesome trail ride. Yeah. So if people don't understand, I am a, a I am a very amateur. I mean, I I wouldn't say I'm a novice, but I am a uh, maybe an upper novice in mountain biking and Jeff is uh more towards the expert level, uh, certainly upper intermediate to expert level. And so we went on the trails. I haven't been out in forever and I actually had a new bike and I haven't ever taken it off road. And I felt like I'd never ridden a bike before. And so, um, you had to like slow down for me significantly. And, and, and here's what was so great about it. This is what Jeff did. Every time he'd have to slow down for me, he, he totally turned into, I felt like I was like his 10 year old son (laughs) and I loved every minute of it because he'd be like, Hey buddy, you're doing great. And like, oh man, you're catching up. And I'm like dying back there trying to catch up to him or whatever. And he's just pedaling just really slowly. And to be fair to your, to you, Jay, I think you did really well and you didn't hit any trees. That's a big deal. I did. A handlebar strike. Yeah, that's, that happens. So if you haven't mountain biked, one of the, one of the thrills of a mountain bike trail are when the trail is just about, like it's narrow and there are two trees and the width between the two trees is basically the width of your handlebars. So the margin of error is pretty small and there's something that our minds do when we get closer to it. Like you suddenly feel like I'm not going to fit, even though you kind of know you will. 
And uh, yeah, that happens. That happens to me all the time too. Yeah. Well, it was it was fun. And at one point, I even got to channel my inner child because I got lost. You 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 did the worst dad moment for you was you ditched me at one point. Um, you didn't mean to, but I was going so slow. And then uh, I get to this place, and there were three. It wasn't just like a fork in the road, like left or right, but there were three options. And I did not know where you were or what I what I should do. And so I literally thought. Well, if you were a kid and you got lost, what would you do? <laughs> Stay put. So I stayed put. I just stayed there. And eventually you came back. You retraced your steps and came back and found me. And we were we were good to go again. So Yeah, so. that was a that was a good moment. I was watching yeah. this guy fish and I was thinking, Man, I feel like I should have seen him by now or heard him at least. So yeah, heard I just me. did a did a quick yeah. uh, turn back and I mean I'm not a quiet mountain biker. Like it's hard <laughs> to you if you can't hear me anymore, like the heavy panting <laughs> and the my my svelte frame going down and lumbering down on the big bike. Yeah. So it was pretty fun. We'll have to do it yeah. again soon. It was good. Speaking of fun. Your new bike worked well too, by it the did. way. It did. I was trying to transition. Okay. Sorry. Speaking, speaking of you fun. You got me thinking about bikes. Wolves. That's your own fault. Wolves. Oh yeah, wolves. Yeah. It's always fun. Yeah. So wolves, especially wolves in sheep's clothing. Yeah. Goodness. It's a, like a costume party. Yes. Do you picture Scary that? Way. Like I picture like Little Red Riding Hood kind of stuff sometimes when I read that and I think of like a, a you know, like we've seen it in cartoons. I know Bugs Bunny is literally done that or was thinking Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah. And then you have like the the wolf sitting there and you got like this little sheep. And and I think that was interesting. I don't know what you thought about that, but one of the things I kept thinking about was I need to make sure that I stress the deception of the whole thing and how hard it is to tell. Like we just are so confident that we that we'll be able to recognize that other people might have a hard time, but we recognize and and we don't. Like the whole the point that he's making there is that there's just there's so much deception and it's so and and he and the way we can tell them is not the way that we typically mm-hmm. try to tell them apart. Yeah. Like, not by the obvious ways. No, we think, well, they are, see this, and I don't know what you think about this, but this is, what's weird about the passage is, is it is almost like Jesus is saying, it's pretty obvious. And so I wish I would have made that point of like, it's actually not, it's, it's pretty obvious, but we have a really hard time telling them apart because we look at the wrong thing. So it'd be kind of like, I guess, evaluating a quarterback and, and you're like, man, his shoulder pads, like he put his shoulder pads on really well. And meanwhile, he's just spiking the ball into the ground and can't throw the ball 10 yards. And you're just like, man, and he's tall. Look at how tall he is. Look at how strong he is. And, and he can't do anything. And you'd be sitting there going, it's actually pretty obvious he's a terrible quarterback. But you have somebody else standing there going like, wow, he looks looks like a great quarterback. And so I think it's kind of that. I could have used that illustration maybe. Maybe that would have been a better one. But um, that I think that there is a tension there of it actually is kind of obvious the way Jesus lays it out, but it's not obvious to us because we're typically looking at completely the wrong things. Like we are enamored by gifting and look like, you know, which makes me think of, you know, when David is chosen and um, for as king and everybody like we we mock that in the Old Testament of like oh they chose Saul because he was like tall that's how they used to choose kings what dummies and like we, we don't it's not any different for us we don't pick the tallest one but we pick all these 
exterior attributes that have nothing to do with actual leadership ability or um or nature or character or anything like that yeah to me so where it's not obvious is if we're looking at appearance right right because if we're looking for a wolf that looks like a wolf we aren't going to find it um based on appearance and that's why I think Jesus gets at the heart right away, like he has through this whole sermon. It's inwardly they're ferocious wolves, right? It's this it's this heart desire. And I think the thing that I mean, besides just that we're looking often at the wrong for the wrong things, it's that the wolf also does not want to be found and is pretty smart. Right? So like if you think about just sheep in general aren't known to be the brightest animals, which is kinda of, it's a humbling thing that how often we are we are called sheep in the Bible, very dependent creatures on shepherds and fences and sheep dogs and whatever for protection and guidance and care. But the wolf knows what he's doing. And, and you made that distinction too, I think between like a wolf and just someone who's unknowingly right. I think that's an important, important distinction in this. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't really think about that, but you're right. I mean, I did think about how sheep, it's not a flattering metaphor for us, but the the metaphor of the wolf being much more cunning and much smarter than sheep and um you know and, and again you don't want to take the metaphor too far we were going to talk we were talking about that yes. before the podcast that that a dangerous thing and even we have a question that we're going to get to that i think illustrates that a little bit but you it's not like jesus is saying okay this is how everybody fits into these kinds of categories. And so you got to come up with all the categories for all the different types of animals. And we are like a sheep in all kinds of ways, which is why we should all shave, you know, once a year, make sure that we like, there's <laughs> like, you can take this too far where it's like, okay, no, 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 that's not what we're, it's not what we're getting at here, but there is an element to, we are, you know, like lambs led to a slaughter. Like we are defenseless. Mm-hmm. We are not, in our own, we on our own, we are not able to fend off, and a sheep is not fighting off a wolf. No, um, but that wolves are conniving, and that they they want to not be found, and sheep are not likely to uncover that um, unless unless they are listening to the shepherd, because the shepherd will notice that there's a wolf, and but the sheep don't always listen to that. But if they, if they did like, and I'm talking about Jesus as the great shepherd, uh, he clearly knows. Mm -hmm. And he tells us then this is what you should look for. And, um, and now I do think it's interesting. So you and I were talking before the podcast and I said, I, I really emphasized, he's, you know, says those who do the will of my father. And you mentioned how, you know, part of the passage that has always struck you is the, the, I never knew you. And I said that, yes, for, for me also. So I don't know what, I, I would love for you to just kind of address that because I, I addressed it a little bit. Um, but, but not, you know, fully in the way like that is an interesting phrase that Jesus chooses to say, like, depart from me. I never, I never knew you. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say depart from me. You're not good enough or you didn't do enough. He says, I never knew you. And then he calls them workers of lawlessness. Yeah. I mean, it, to me, it's a, it's the most frightening thing that you could possibly hear him say, right? I mean, there's not a worse thing that I, I just, I never knew you. And that's, I immediately think in terms of relationship, that's a relational 
it's a relational remark. I, I didn't know you. I never knew you. You did not follow my will. You, you didn't live in obedience and allegiance to me. And it's a highlight of like, you were living for a different kingdom completely. And you did a great job in the sermon of highlighting all the ways that Jesus, up until this point in this Sermon on the Mount, has shown us, like, this is what it looks like to live for him. This is what it looks like. And, and over and over again, what we've pulled out on, throughout the sermons has been intimacy, connection, living union with him is where this obedience and this way of living flows from. So to me, in this moment, Jesus is highlighting these wolves, these, these workers of iniquity or whatever, that they, they, they don't know me. I don't know them. And I think him saying he doesn't know them is, is that they haven't related to him the way his sheep do. They have not connected with him the way they were made to. And we know that the kind of obedience and the, really the radical life that he calls us to in the Sermon on the Mount is impossible apart from him dwelling within us. And apart from him, you, you mentioned the phrase like abiding in Christ on Sunday. Apart from that, this will never happen for any of us. And he's making that distinction there. It, to me, it makes me think of like knowing about him, knowing facts about him, trying to live that out or to force that to happen in our lives without an actual experience of connecting with him and of him connecting with us, like this mutual exchange. It's a miserable existence, actually. It sounds horrible. And the idea that you could, he would know you and you would know him in intimacy and be a wolf, I don't think that's possible. Because I think if once you know him and he knows you the way we're meant to, you will only want to follow him in loving obedience. So there's some, like the wolf is deceived at some level as well, that they think that what they're doing is going to bring about something good. Um, Their motivations, they're not deceived, but I I believe they don't know him the way they think they do. And he's making that clear. So I don't know, a bunch of things rise up in one of them is just the feeling of that would be horrible. But also the flip side, like the positive side is that he made us to know him and to be known by him. And that is what like part of a flourishing human life as it was meant to be lived will always include. And then out of that will flow his will and and obedience to him. Yeah. And I wonder, so it's interesting. Those two sections are often separated and they're even separated by a heading in, um, in, in most Bibles. But I, th- I think they're connected. I mean, I think that that's the, who he's talking about. But I also think, I wonder if that second part, so he when he talks about, you know, be careful, beware of wolves, and he talks about the good tree bearing good fruit and the bad tree bearing bad fruit. And then when he goes on and says, you know, many in that day will say, Lord, Lord. Um, and I think I think that in that second category, I, I don't think it's just wolves that he's talking about. I think it's also deceived, those who have been deceived by wolves. And I think that is important that not, yeah. not everybody, um, not everyone who is deceived is intentionally trying to devour. Like if, again, we don't want to take the metaphor too far. We don't want to take it places where Jesus doesn't take it. But I think it's like a, a picture in my mind is like you have the wolf and then you have like the sheep henchmen who think like they either don't recognize that the wolf is a wolf or, you know, there's, there's just all kinds of situations in there. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about goats also here in a second, but 
I think I I just think it is it is both scary, but then also should be really freeing mm-hmm. because Jesus links knowing him with doing the will of the Father. So if you love me, you will keep my commandments, right? John 13. If you, um, like these different areas, like where Jesus is saying, like in all John 13, 14, 15, when he talks about like, um, you know, loving loving your neighbor and if you if you love me you you will keep my commandments a new commandment i give to you that you love one another this he's setting this up of of like the intimacy with him when we talk about that god gives what he requires that's a statement that i think we need to always hold in our head god gives what he requires so he requires righteousness and he gives us righteousness he requires faith and he gives us faith. So God doesn't require anything of us that he does not supply for us. And that includes the good works. Like that that we do the good works that he prepared for us. Like he he is preparing us for that. And so the scary thing is that you could go through life going through the motions just knowing about Jesus, right? Knowing religious things to do and be deceived. That's legitimately terrifying. It is. And, but like I said on Sunday, if you are terrified by that, that's a good sign. It's actually the people who aren't terrified by that thought, if because they're so sure they're not deceived, that that's the dangerous part. Um, and so he's not, he's not saying that you have to do all of these things. Um, that, so that the, that's the scary part is that you're thinking like, okay, well, how do I know I'm not deceived? But the positive part is, the answer to it is to be known by him. And that out of that, we will bear good fruit. And I think, so it's actually, um, it should be really securing. So when you feel conviction, for example, when you have, when you feel a desire to follow Jesus and to know him, well, that's evidence that he knows you. And so then it's actually not built on how good of a week did I have last week? And have I done more good things than bad things? Would Jesus point out all my bad works or anything like that? No. If you're in Christ, then you belong to him, and then he knows you. And when he knows you, and when he loves you, then you will love him, and you will then keep his commandments. I mean, imperfectly. like we. Yep. But there's a desire to. There's a conviction. The reason you feel conviction is because you desire to do this other thing. It's a Romans 7 type situation of I... I cannot do the good I want to do. Like there's a battle that's going on, but there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's interesting, the justification in that like paragraph there too, that Jesus says that, I never knew you, and then they respond with like right. justification, like as if he's wrong. And uh, yeah, that, that the heart behind that, which mm. is totally missing the boat. But yeah, I appreciate how you're saying that. It's actually, it is freeing because we know when we focus on him and loving him and enjoying him, this is what happens. We, we we're known by him and his will will be done in our hearts and our lives. Okay. We had a question this week, we right? We did, but can I just point out, flesh that out a little bit? Cause I think that's a really important point. You just articulated something that I had tried to, I thought about, but I couldn't like formally, I, I couldn't formulate what I wanted to say about it. Um, and now I just forgot. What did you just say? 
Well, to, when we know him, we will, his will will flow out of our lives. We will be obedient as we focus. Oh, no, no, no. The arguing. Him. Oh, yeah. The arguing part. So that's what's so crazy is it both in this, and we'll talk about Matthew 25 too, there is an argument that takes place where Jesus, Jesus says, this is the situation. And you think about how many times in the gospels you have people who respond to him. No, that's not it. That can't be it. Yeah, but Jesus, you're wrong. You don't you don't notice this. Um, like we like we are children of Abraham, you know, like we are you we did these things. No, no, I'm gonna argue my case for you. And and when I, so trying to get at that and realize, man, that's what our to know that's what our inclination is going to be. That's where defensiveness and self justification come up. And that's I tried to mention that in the sermon where I said um, like to be open at the very beginning to just say, don't be afraid of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Do not, don't guard your heart against the conviction of the Holy Spirit. If he's being gracious to you and revealing reality, it's not an argument. It's not a court. So that's where I feel like sometimes the court metaphor yep. that we use sometimes um, about Jesus defending us and, you know, being our justifier and God being the judge and all that. These where these metaphors fall short because there's no argument to be made. Like Jesus doesn't make a case for or against us. He declares what is. Right? So so when he says, if he says, I don't know you, then he doesn't know you. There's no, there's nothing you're gonna say to refute that. So that's what I was trying to get at. Like, man, if you if you feel any of that conviction, I was hoping like if there were people who who were listening to that who we're hearing a conviction of you, you don't know me. You aren't actually, you don't belong to me. Turn and repent. Imagine how sad it would be for someone to say, no, I can't, I can't admit that. I can't acknowledge that. That can't be true because I've always been in the church. I've always, and, and I just say, man, don't, don't argue with the Holy Spirit. You can argue with me. Like you can, like, that's fine. But don't argue with the Holy Spirit. If you're feeling that conviction, don't seek to protect yourself from that. Yeah, rather than protecting ourselves, where we need to end up is telling God thank you, right? Because because when He brings about conviction in that way, His Spirit, the result of it is so good. Even though in the moment of the conviction, there it can be rather painful, right? There can be, oh man, I'm seeing my sin in a way I didn't before. But in the end, when it's the Holy Spirit, you will be able to say thank you, thank you that you didn't leave me in that place ignorant or blind or even willful in sin you pointed out because he loves us that much that's what ends up happening when it's that kind of conviction and justifying just prevents that doesn't it remind you of coaching <laughs> like think about yeah. the, the player that you yeah. when you say hey hey buddy you're um you're actually in the wrong position you, we want you to be over here so that you can make this play and if they say well no but it's better to be over there they don't realize like you're you're helping them you're trying to help them be a better soccer player, be a better baseball player, yep. a better basketball player. You're trying to help them understand that. But a, a player who refuses to hear that because they they need to they need to be right in the situation doesn't get better and actually just causes more more problems for yeah. themselves and for others. And I just see that a lot in the church. But hey, you're right. We did have a question. We're finally to the question. What are we, like 20 minutes into the podcast when we get to the question? It was a good question. Uh, question was, 
we, we mentioned Acts 20 and Paul's warning to the Ephesian elders where he says, like, from among you will rise up, um, you know, people who, like, draw disciples away and talk about wolves rising up among them. But the question was, was Paul before, basically before his conversion and then, and then, you know, because he persecuted the church before and then he can, he's confronted by Jesus and he becomes a missionary. Is he a reformed wolf or is he a lost sheep brought back to the, to the flock? What a great question. It is a good question. Why don't you answer it then? Because you had an answer. Yeah, I think I, my my gut reaction to that, like right away, is he's neither one of those. That he's he's not a wolf, because he's not like if you think about a wolf the way Jesus is describing this wolf in sheep's clothing who's trying to blend in and deceive. He's not. He he has wants no part in this church when he's persecuting it. Um, he wants it to not exist at all. So it benefits, to, there's no benefit to him at all. And he's not a deceived sheep because he's not part of them at all. So he's, he's a third thing. What is he then, Jay? <laughs> well, I think he's, he's a human being. So again, the yeah. metaphor falls short. There's lots of people <laughs> that he, he was a, I mean, I would say, um, I mean, I, I guess I'd say he was a lost sheep. Like, I think, I think you could say, um, cause they asked, is he a reformed wolf or a lost sheep brought back into the, hmm. the flock? So, I think you could say in a sense like he, yes, because God gathers all of his sheep and they're scattered and he's drawing them to himself. And so Paul, I guess you could say in that metaphor, probably most accurately, if you're going to choose something in there, he is a, he is um, a sheep who doesn't know he's a sheep yet, hmm. but he's not a wolf. Like you said, because a wolf, a wolf um, infiltrates so the closest we have, you could you could make the argument that Judas was a wolf. You could also could make an argument that he was a deceived, weak sheep that fit. Like, so we don't know. We don't get enough information about Judas to know was he from the beginning was he trying to you know devour from the inside or did he have a Saul like not not this Saul but King Saul type moment where he just abandons, you know the faith completely. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, here's what I would say though, fully. So, you know, he's not a, not a wolf. Um, and I think that does though. Um, one thing that does is kind of sheds light a little bit on how, when, when we're talking about wolves, we're not talking about people outside of the church. It's always people inside the church. When, when Paul says, be careful, it's from among you. I, I probably could have clarified that more, that it's not, we're not saying that um, when I said they're here and they're in the church, I'm not saying like they're even here. I'm saying they're only here, mm-hmm. like not only at Faith Church, but they're only in the church. Wolves are like these, these wolves, as Jesus is describing them, are not outside. They're, they're inside. They're, the wolves are in sheep's clothing. Now, that you could you, there is a sense in which you could say, well, there are people outside of the faith who are trying to destroy the church, like, like Paul was, um, like, like Saul was. Um, but, but that's not the kind of wolf that Jesus is referring to here. He's referring to those um, within the church. You know, it's interesting, as you're describing that, I was just thinking, like, if you were one of the first followers of Jesus who was encountering Paul, 
when when he had had the experience of the risen Jesus and he followed Jesus, it would have been very normal and probably a lot did think he might have been a wolf. Because to do the things that he had done, persecution and and overseeing, you know, death of followers of Jesus, suspicion about his motivations and what he was up to, to me would have made a lot of sense. So I, I think that probably initially there were some who would have thought this could be a wolf. This might be a new a new tactic. Oh, for sure. Well, and it also brings up an interesting question that I don't know. I, I Again, I don't want to dig too deep on that, but I do think it's interesting when you think about the Pharisees that there were Pharisees who were full-on hypocrites, and then there were Pharisees who were trying to be faithful. Right, and there were Pharisees. Nicodemus is a good example. There are Pharisees who, when confronted with the the possibility that that Jesus was the Messiah, they sought they sought him out. Right, Joseph of Arimathea, um, Nicodemus. We that's different than the ones who are trying to destroy people, even in the church. Those are the ones that put on these heap on these burdens that they don't lift a finger to to help, you know, and I think, and, and I think again, the, the aim of all of this is not to figure out who fits in what category. When Jesus talks about these things, he's just saying like, be aware, this is a reality. So don't just assume that because somebody says the right things that they belong to me. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of a big point of it. Don't just assume that it doesn't mean go around and try to like prove that everybody's a wolf um, it just means, hey, be be aware, and and this is this is how you're going to be able to recognize them. And when you start seeing bad fruit from someone who's trying to get influence in the church and trying to um, trying to wield power or title or anything like that, or using their giftedness, um, that's a dangerous situation because they're going to devour. Now there is another animal that we could introduce in the whole thing found in in Matthew um, Matthew 25 where Jesus talks about goats. And um, he says in in verse 31 of Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, so that's the sheep, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then what's interesting is similar. There's a, there's a lot of similarities between this passage and in Matthew 7. Because he's going to say, okay, you're sheep and you've now inherited the kingdom. And then he says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see a, see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, then he goes to the left. I'm not going to read all that, but there, he says, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And then he, he does, it's the opposite of everything he said. 
I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. And what's interesting about this is then we talked about that arguing. Now here's what's fascinating about this passage. So 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 one, you have this other category that are goats. Goats aren't trying to devour sheep. Like in this metaphor, you don't there's it's not anything about what they're doing to the sheep. What Jesus is talking about is you you didn't do the will of my father. So to the sheep, he says you inherit the kingdom because you did the will of my father. And what is the will of my father? To love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Like all those examples he gives is how would you want someone to treat you if you were naked? You would want them to clothe you. How would you want someone to treat you if you were thirsty? You would want them to give you a drink. And and then he he says the other ones, I was hungry, you gave me no food, I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. And then they argue. They will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison and did not minister to you? And he'll answer to them, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Now, here's what's so fascinating about this. The response of both the sheep and the goats is the exact same. Hmm. They both actually argue with Jesus. But one of them is coming at it from a place of humility and unworthiness and feeling like, Lord, we didn't do enough. Like what I don't I don't remember ever seeing that. Like, did I did I not recognize you when I was giving you, you know, giving them a drink or giving and Jesus says, No, no. All those times that you did that, you know, selflessly in humility, that you honored the the great commandment, when you honored the golden rule when you're doing that, you you did that to me. Because it's not about even giving that person food. It's about honoring Jesus and being faithful to Jesus in that. And when you do those things, when you do the will of the Father, you are exhibiting your faith. So they say, Lord, when did we when did we see you? They both have the same response. But one is from a place of humility of like, Lord, I could have done so much more. Like I I, I didn't see you. Like when did it when did that happen? Um where the other is well, Lord, if you just would have, if you just would have told us it was you, like when did we see you? It was the other is a justifying, it's mm-hmm. a defensiveness, it's a wait. You're holding me accountable for this, but I'm pleading ignorance. So the goat is not interested in trying to destroy the sheep or anything. They're not. They're not inwardly ravenous goats that are eating sheep. They are. They are deceived and they don't belong to him. They don't know him. And their response to when Jesus says, hey, this is what this is what you were to do, their response is defensiveness and self-justification and, and arguing, like you said. If only I had known kind of response. Yeah. If you had just told me. Yep. And it's, I don't know what you think about that, but like there, it is a fascinating thing. That I think there are um, like, the goats in this parable, like where, so where the wolves are deceived, but they're also, they're conniving and they're trying. Um, I, I, you could make an argument that if you really wanted to create like an animal kingdom here, that everyone who gets deceived by a wolf is actually a goat. So if you picture a, you know, a cartoon movie, you have the sheep who belong to the shepherd. And then you have the wolves who are trying to infiltrate the pen and then you have his goat henchmen who are either they're either naive they're ignorant 
they don't belong to the shepherd. They don't really care about any of the sheep. They don't really care about, they don't, they don't know the shepherd. They don't really want a shepherd. They just, you know, they like the grass that they can eat in there. They like to like hang around with other hooved animals. <laughs> like, okay, this is a whole. Mowing whole, the lawn. They're like mowing the lawn. Yeah. They're just doing their thing. And then the shepherd's like, hey, you didn't you didn't listen to me over here. And they're like, wait, when did you say anything? I wasn't paying attention. And it's almost like he's saying, right, exactly. Like you weren't paying, you were so distracted by all these, other, like you're not, you, you didn't, you weren't paying attention. And all the examples he gives as well, it's really striking to me that they're all actions. None of them are just um, like a mental exercise. Right. And I think that's, that was really intentional, obviously, that. These were outward actions mm. of obedience and love. Yeah, he's not saying you agreed that it's good to give thirsty people a drink. Yes. You you nodded in agreement when somebody said, "We hey, we should go visit people in prison. Yeah, that would be similar to the saying, Lord, Lord, which they do. I mean, they're, they're, they're just, they're deceived and it's, it's shown. What do you think about, like, where do you see that today? Like just being so it's just fascinating because it does seem like they're just they're just distracted like they just didn't like the question is when did we see you we didn't notice we didn't notice that you were hungry and thirsty yeah and to me that also i mean it, it does these passages it's interesting how connected they feel so when jesus says in the first one in the matthew 7 i, I never knew you if that is a relational comment or like a description like they they had no intimacy with him. They just they weren't relationally connected with him. To me, to be relationally connected with Jesus is to increasingly take on his heart and his view of the world around you. And so the idea that you could go through life connected with him and not see where his heart goes. Like so to love him and not love what he loves, it's hard to imagine how that could happen. Consistently. Now all of us miss, right? We are <laughs> Anyone in Jesus will say, there's so much that needs to change in my heart still. There's so much. But you would hope that you would see some desires that are, are similar to the desires of their master. And to me, that's what he's highlighting here is the goats, their actions, their outward actions that flow out of those, that heart, they don't match his for the world around him. They're able to feel nothing for what he feels great compassion for and what he did when he walked in the flesh. So I, you know, how does that apply today? I would say, well, it's, it applies the same as it did then. You know, I think the ways that we're distracted are very different, but, but really it, it seems to me it's, it's the same kind of same dynamic. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's trusting I think a big part of this is trusting that what Jesus says is important is what's actually most important. Mm -hmm. And so we had talked before the podcast, I'd mentioned in the message, like how often does in the new Testament, do they talk about how bad the Roman government is or how bad the world is? It's very little. And so there's just, there's just hardly anything at all that, given to what should be done about the evil out there. And I, and I think that is a huge point because the scary thing to me is we can now, like right now, so we could spend hours a day listening to podcasts or radio shows right. 
that are all about how horrible the, the world is. Uh, it's broken because of this political party or this person or this policy and feel like what, what when we're getting all worked up about that and maybe making our own posts and comments that we're actually doing what is really good. Right. But actually what's happening is something very de- demonic and I think even worse is that we are being so distracted from the good that we're called into by focusing on the ways the world is broken. And it is broken, but that's not where our energies are to go, to just dwell on that. As if we just talked about that more, that would cure it. And that's not the cure. Yeah, imagine imagine spending your entire day or you know hours of your day you know, on social media, reading stuff from your favorite news outlet, you know, watching things, um, getting riled up about the state of the world. And meanwhile, you, if you'd been out in the community, you would have come across countless people who Jesus would say, that's where I was. But you missed all those opportunities. And you could see at the end of the day, I mean, imagine a micro version of this. At the end of the day, Jesus says, you didn't, I was, I was hungry. I was thirsty. You missed me. And you said like, well, when, I didn't, I didn't see you. Right. Cause you were so busy, distracted by these other things. And that's what the enemy wants to do. The enemy, the enemy is really good at making us think things are a big deal that actually aren't. And Jesus very, like, very clearly all the time, think about all the time where people are all worked up into a frenzy about how big of a deal something is. And Jesus' response is, it's not a big deal. Do we pay taxes? Should we pay taxes to Caesar knowing what he does with this money? Or should we not? It's like, yeah, sure. Because money is nothing. Like money is earthly. So give him, give him what he, like he has an earthly kingdom. So give him earthly treasures. That's fine. And I think if we, you know, I think that's why this is really important is to make sure um, that that we are just watching how we are deceived. That we are watching, that we're watching our own hearts to say, are we a goat? Are we a sheep? Like you just ask the Holy Spirit and he'll tell you. I mean, here's the thing. I don't know if you've noticed this, Jeff, but the most faithful people I know, it's interesting to read this passage in Matthew 25, but the people that I look at that I just say, man, they just pour their lives out for the kingdom. If you say to them, and you're, you're doing so much like encouraging, like it's so much encouraging work, their response is going to be some form of a, either a very humble thank you, you know, just like a, a gracious receipt of that, or a, man, I feel like I am, I'm not doing enough. Like, I just feel like I'm falling short all the time. Like I miss so many opportunities, but the person who is quick to feel that, like feel the other, you know, where they're, yeah, I am doing great things. That's the warning in these, in both situations, you have people who are like, who, if you, if they did a self-evaluation, if anyone's ever done a self-evaluation for work or for class or anything, those are a those are a hoot. How well do you think you're doing? That's a loaded question. If someone ever asks you how well you think how well do you think you're doing? Let me just give you some counsel. It's probably better to be humble in that and to, you know, I hope I'm doing well. I'm trying mm-hmm. to do well. You know, like I'm trying to but the the point being that in both of those illustrations, the ones who are confident 
that they're nailing it are the ones that Jesus says are deceived. And the ones who say, Lord, you're crediting me with this, but I don't think I deserve the credit for that. Like, I remember giving that guy a drink of water, but I don't remember you giving you a drink of water. Like, they're, you see what I'm saying? Like, it's like this totally. crazy situation where it's like they're they're quick to say, I should not have the credit for I don't, you're crediting me with something that I shouldn't have, which is what should be our response when we're giving given Christ's righteousness. We should say like, man, I this isn't mine. I shouldn't have this. And, and the response is, yes, it is undeserved, but it is yours. Yeah. As opposed I, to the person that has their own righteousness. I would say in my experience, that's how I've encountered it like over and over again. And I, it's interesting that, especially when it comes to like advice giving, yeah. <laughs> um, it is so often to me that the people that you most should be seeking advice from are the ones who are most hesitant to give it because they think that what they're about to say will not be helpful to you. And the ones who love to give advice and need you to hear their advice are the ones that you should be really cautious about. It's a, it, to me, it's a similar dynamic. Just they have a right view of themselves when they are humble and think, I don't, I don't have the full picture. I'm cautious to even tell you this, but here's what I think. That is the kind of person you want to seek counsel from and help from. And I think it's that dynamic you were just saying, you're describing. Do you think it's, when I think about receiving counsel from someone, and I and I think that is a key place where wolves will often get into because they will be very confident in the counsel that they are given, that they're giving. And over the years, I've heard some really very, like, very unbiblical counsel given from very confident sources that I've had to, like, untangle, you know, for people and it's hard because like so that so that's a very key part just be careful of who you allow to influence you with with their words and with their actions and and seek out people who you just see that that their their relationship with Jesus just oozes out of them not not in their social media presence but like watch how they respond to people and move around people in the church you know, or in the community? How do they treat different people? What does that look like? Um, how do they love people who can't love them back? How do they treat people who have nothing to offer them in earthly terms? And I do think, like with the council, we can still be confident in what we can be confident in, but it's boasting in Christ. Exactly. Right? So, so yeah, I mean, you wouldn't, you think about a doctor, often their metaphor is used with a doctor and saying, um, like there's there's two kinds of doctors that I don't really like, I like that I don't really want to receive medical advice from. The one doctor is overconfident doctor, the one who just takes this thing and is like, oh well, you know everybody else is dumb. Other people would treat you this way, but I know the right way to treat you, and it's obviously this. Like that makes me, that's gonna that should raise a red flag, and because there's no humility there at all of knowing that we're finite and that you know whatever. The other, the other side though is the doctor who just claims like, yeah, you know, you could ask the dude at Menards, you know, it's stock and shelves. Like they have just as good of a, you know, advice as as I have about what you should do about this broken leg. What do I know? 
like I don't like that. Either. Like there is a way that we need to be confident, but it's confident in Christ. And so it's not confident in our own advice. It's typically not, con- it shouldn't, it's usually not attached to the specifics of what a person should do or think in a situation. It's, it's usually based on like, what do we know about Jesus? What do we, what, what are we sure about in him? And then, and how do we think about this in a Christ-like way? Like that it's, it's more of a discovery process. People who give you, that you should seek out with counsel are confident in who Christ is and what he promises, but they're really humble about your situation and about the specifics about it. So maybe that's another, I don't know. I think that's a really good application of part of this because part of the warning that Jesus gives is that these wolves are going to lead astray and they're going to, I think maybe one of the ways that that happens is distraction now. I don't know. I mean, maybe that, maybe we just landed on something there, but um, I think that advice giving and receiving is a key way that, that this can play out in, in ways that can be pretty destructive getting it from, from sources that aren't really God's voice. Is it any different than it was? I mean, no. think about distraction and division are the two things that popped in my head, the two tools that the enemy uses. Like I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to make you miss the important thing by focusing on this other thing. And so we can read through the sermon on the Mount and, and have people in the church say, well, we don't, we don't have time to deal with that kind of stuff because we're losing the grip on our country. And so we need to basically violate all of the Sermon on the Mount. And then once we get that all settled, then we can go back to, you know, obeying Jesus. I mean, so that's, that's huge distraction. And um, so that's obviously a problem. There's a lot of deception in the church going on with that. Um, But then also then division. So then you break people into camps and now I distrust that person over there because they're in that other camp. And mm-hmm. I, I trust the people in my camp, whether it's my political camp, my theological camp, whatever it is. And and so the enemy likes to divide in that way. And man, you see it you see it all the time. And it's grievous. Like I, I it makes me so sad. Um but I do wanna make sure that we before we close, I wanna make sure that we make it clear that none of us like it, it's really hard. Wolves, wolves are difficult to discern. The, the The big issue is, man, it's not important really that you determine was well, that is that a goat, is that a wolf, is that an immature sheep, is that a sick sheep. The way that Paul calls us to deal with all that doesn't change. Actually, it's the same, and so I would say it's the same with you. Meaning. That when he says if this person that's among you, if they're causing destruction and division, he says like that's where church discipline comes in. And he doesn't spend any time going like, well, but are they a wolf? Are they a goat? Are they a sick sheep? Are they immature? It doesn't matter. You still deal with them the same way because if they're a wolf, you got to get them away from the sheep. If they're a goat, they're going to be separated anyway. And if they're a sick sheep, according to Scripture, the best way for them to come to that realization is to be separated from the flock, and then they are they're able to be reached in that setting. And I think, so I think that that's really important. That when you are in a situation where you're like, man, there's not the fruit of doing the will of the Father. If I look at this person, and would I say? 
they are characterized by what I see Jesus talk about in these three chapters. Is their life marked by that? Not just their public life, but their private life. If the answer is no, then whether they are a wolf or a goat or a sick sheep, you should not be giving them influence in your life. You you pray for them, but you should not be you should not be giving weight to their words. You should not be giving them influence. You should not be um, giving them really a voice in your life as you're following Jesus. You want to find people whose lives, when you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the people that come to your mind that you know who are living in that way out of an intimacy of knowing Jesus, that's that's who you want to give influence to. So that's where I think it's really practical and and helpful. And then you want to be a sheep who does that so that you can lead others towards the shepherd and not unwittingly. Cause like that's part of what happens to either goats or to sick or immature sheep. See when, when, when you, if you th- picture a wolf in the, in the pen with the sheep and you got a couple of sheep are going like, yeah, but he's really, he's really smart. He's a really good communicator. And so they're around, well, other sheep are going to be drawn to you. And pretty soon, like you actually are giving credibility to the wolf. And so that's, it matters. It matters for you and your own life. And it matters for other sheep that you're connected to. And so that's, that's why it, that's why it's so important. It's so critical that we're just aware. So again, going back to, it's not about picking out all of them. It's just about saying, just beware. And when you notice, Hey, you're this, their life is not marked by what we see in the Sermon on the Mount, that's a problem. Yeah, to me, along with that, the complimentary, you know, counsel would be just keep pursuing Jesus and intimacy with him. I mean, it, it's really obvious, right? right? That that's what he's calling us to, but we we need to keep pursuing that because as we are increasingly enamored with him, in love with him, transformed into his image, this will become more and more obvious. We'll, we'll see what he sees and then we'll have compassion the way he has compassion. Like you said, responding in prayer and love, uh, the kind of correction that's brought in those situations. Yeah. We'll start to see people like we've been common theme over the last couple of weeks have been seeing people, not issues. Um, we just need, we need each other to keep reminding ourselves of that. It's really, it's really hard. Um, you know, when, even with uh, with my wife, if we go out somewhere, it's really hard when, well, actually, you think about it with my children, that there are times where, like, my child, one of my children will do something that's really frustrating to me, and I get really fixated on the thing they did. And I, if you've ever had the situation where the other parent comes in and didn't experience the thing that was done, one of the things that they can often remind you of, and what Lauren will remind me of is, like, uh, um, you know, or I can remind Lauren of is to separate the thing from the person like that's our that's our child like remember that don't get fixated on this thing that they did and and i think that's that's such a mark of what jesus is driving at in in the sermon on the mount and it's who we want to be and man i i just i need to i need to say this to close i have talked to so many people who have been tied up in a lot of this deception 
and they're trying to get untangled. And I just want you to know, if you're listening to this and you feel it, you feel that, man, I've been, I've been getting tangled up in this. I've been lured away by this. I've been distracted by these things going on in the world. I've been distracted by maybe this teacher that I, I don't know if they actually are a sheep now. And like, and maybe you feel foolish. Just know you're not alone. Lauren and I were just talking yesterday, and I'm not going to name names, but there are, there are definitely some leaders in the evangelical world who have been revealed to be wolves in the last you know decade or so. And some of them, I, I just I never trusted. But there were others that I did. And I, I said to Lauren yesterday, man, I, like there are ones that surprised me, and I was deceived. And I felt foolish. And when you first hear about some of the things that are going on, you think like, oh, no, that can't be true. And that can't be the whole story. And that can't be the, you know. And then you find out more and more. And then it becomes really clear and really obvious. And there's a place where we feel silly because how could we be duped? And I just want us to make sure that we realize that we're sheep. All of us are duped. We're all duped by the treasures of the world. We're all duped on a daily basis to buying into temporary things, to lure our, you know, chase after lesser things, to not trust Jesus in any given moment. And so you don't need to feel that pride and any of that doesn't need to be an obstacle because we are all in that same boat. And so I just want to encourage you, if that's the case, like just just turn right now and turn and follow and, and realize that just faithfulness to Jesus in every single small moment, that's that's the faith that matters. That's the faith that will end up producing great things. And and I'm just I'm excited about what things can look like when we all are pursuing that together, which is what we want to do, which is why we're so thankful for questions like this that sparked yeah. so many This is um, a great question. Hopefully helpful helpful questions and helpful helpful contributions. Um but we want to we want to do more than this. We don't want to just be about Sunday morning or about listening to a podcast. But we this is why again it's so important to be in real community. So we want to encourage you to reach out. We've had a couple of people recently like give cards and take that step, and even kind of with a little bit of trepidation of saying, "I know I need to be connected, and I'm not, and I I'm still not even a hundred percent sure I want to be, but I do want to be." Like we we're getting that a lot both on cards and in conversations. So just reach out. Let us know that. Help. Let us help you get connected. Uh, area lunches are always a great place to just do that, to just take that first step, to share a meal with some people, and to get connected and to be able to pray for one another. Um, but we want to help you in, do, in doing that. So reach out to us at connect at com. Give us a call. Talk to us on Sunday. Um, fill out a card online or, or in person. And uh, we would love to take that next step with you. So thank you for listening and taking the time. We hope it has been helpful. Until next time, grace and peace. Mm -hmm.